1: Hey, everybody welcome to snark monkey number 33 with david isaacs now david is a, a really great conversation here a very thoughtful one a very he's 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 a he's a smart guy i'm finding that uh, as i talk to everybody i have yet to talk to anybody who's uh dumber than me and that may never happen it doesn't look good that's okay no i'm okay um, but here's the thing. Uh, if you go back into the history of the Snark Monkey podcast, going way back to, like, not even a year ago, uh, one of the first podcast uh, conversations I put up was with Ken Levine. Ken and David were partners together. Their names appeared on more episodes of top-notch, high-quality television than any other writing team that I can think of. And that includes episodes of M.A.S.H., episodes of Cheers and many other shows they were very much involved in and had a lot to do with creating a golden age of television sitcoms in the 70s and into the 80s. And we talk about that. I get to geek out and reminisce about two of the shows that I loved more than any other as I was growing up. We also get to hear the path of David as compared to the path that we had from Ken Levine and how the two of them from completely different parts of the country found a way to make a magical partnership for as long as it lasted, uh, make each other laugh, find a compatibility, and find a creative uh, relationship that, like I said, uh, is unparalleled, I think. Also, what's very cool about David is that these days he's a big part of the comedy initiative at USC's School of Cinematic Arts. <laughs> can you teach comedy to somebody? Well, maybe you can try. We dig into that a little bit, get in-depth. It's a very cool conversation. I think you might even learn something. Oh, boy, I shouldn't put that in the intro. It's just people tuning out in droves. Yeah, like anybody's listening to this part. Hey! put forwarding past this to get to the stop it i have feelings all right a great conversation with a very cool guy this is david isaacs snark monkey number 33 enjoy Thank you for doing this my pleasure uh, I was actually excited and surprised to discover this is going on I guess a little over not quite two years I guess uh, when I was at USC for mm-hmm. a screening of my buddy Pete Siegel's film uh, grudge match right in which I make a, a triumphant appearance uh, <clears throat> and I did the Q&A and uh, you guys were very complimentary but I I, I Began to see that there was something new over at USC that mm-hmm. you were a part of that right. was was both exciting and frustrating to me because man, if I had had that around, we all feel that way when I was going there. Yeah, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that, and we'll kind of circle back to your whole sure. life story. Sure. Well, I, in the four I, hours we have together,
0: as a professor of screen and television writing, which is my which is my title at at the uh, USC School of Cinematic Arts. Um, I've been teaching um, what my basic expertise was, which was half-hour comedy, uh, TV sitcoms. And I've um, ta- taught a lot of other courses because I, it's about the writing, but um, specifically that's my that's my bag. How so
1: long have you been doing that?
0: I've been there about seven years okay. or eight years coming up. But uh, there hasn't
1: been a specific – I mean, the cinematic arts generally – covered specifically that just mm-hmm. film basically right. and branched into digital arts because of that.
0: that's obviously right. a huge field well there's a there's six separate divisions right uh all of which are encompass all the new media and uh the whole idea of this broad screen entertainment um but basically what happened was while i was there um my my boss the head of the writing division uh, in the school, is Jack Epps, Jr., who is a uh, uh, writer of many uh, contemporary popular films, including Top Gun, Secret of My Success, and Dick Tracy. Um, and he was presented uh, an idea by Barnett Kelman, who's a professor of directing in the School of Cinema in the production division, about the idea of creating a, a comedy initiative, um, a sort of um, cross-divisional subject matter that deals with uh, comedy and all its different uh, interpretations and and, uh, across all the different medium. Um, And that sounded like a great idea because as you said, I am another person who would have loved to have sort of worked my comic voice, if you will, in college and Obviously, in the ancient times when I went there was no such thing
1: <laughs> well I, uh, I mean I don't think there was anything that was even that television oriented when I was there, not from the standpoint of of the sitcom agreed. the half hour
0: agreed and television is is as it slowly begins to sort of uh rival if not surpass film right now um that was a part of it as well um and and sitcoms being a sort of you know this sort of tentpole of uh of television programming, of, of television broadcast programming. But long story short, um, it was Barnett's idea to create a comedy academy so that any student who wanted to work specifically in comedy could take a, a broad range of, of um, courses in writing, uh, half hours, um, directing half hour, uh, directing comedy in general, uh, sketch comedy, um, all the different pretty much all the different forms and it seemed like a no-brainer to us because we're here in Los Angeles, which is a center of, of, of the, of the arts. And, um, and so many SC alumni are, are out there making comic content. Judd Apatow and Paul Feig, uh, Jay Roach, um, uh, Peter Siegel you, you mentioned are, are all, our alumni and um, all associated with the school, and we thought we could draw upon their expertise and their support to kind of go forward with this thing and create an actual path, an academic path. We can't call it a we can't call it a major. We can't call it a track for different university reasons, but we could create this initiative and then just work out from there. And so, in the last four or five years, we've Added a lot of um, a lot of curriculum, a lot of extra stuff. We have a comedy club that draws from people across campus. It's not just people in cinema. It's people in theater, even business who want to come over and and work out, do improv. Uh, we have all kinds of events, and it's just it's all low hanging fruit. It yeah. was all kind of there. It and seems it was just a matter of of somebody having the idea to put it together, which was which was Barnett, and then being able to pull uh, Jack and myself in uh, with our own expertise and create a team to sort of run this thing. That's great.
1: Comedy's really good business right now uh, from the standpoint of everything from shows that are successful in the traditional broadcast manner and mm-hmm. more and more comedies that are showing up in uh, lots of different forms on everything from... Cartoon Network, Adult Swim—the you know short yep. form version, or the idea of even a, a funny or die video—the the quality of those, the production value of those, the amount of attention those get. Mm-hmm. There are people, I think, of the ladies uh, Broad City, who mm-hmm. started something on YouTube yep. basically and turned it into a series. Now,
0: well, there's room for for yeah. niche comedy, and in fact, I think that's where the state of the art is right now. Because I don't think sitcoms are, are in a particularly – we're not in a sort of classic golden age of sitcom right now when I talk about traditional sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as, as is – no one's going to remember this as a golden age of sitcom as they did 30 years ago uh, when, there, when comedies dominated – um, right now, we're in a sort of golden age of drama. I think
1: that's true, but I, I but comedy has found it maybe just a different venue for to to become popular. Oh, most definitely, and yeah. and I certainly think I certainly think that the way comedy's changed. Certainly, the half hour sitcom that you're talking about, the multi camera live audience type of sitcom. Is is barely around. Mm-hmm. I mean, huge hits like Big Bang Theory and and Two and a Half Men, which has moved on, and and a couple of exceptions mm-hmm. still exist. But uh f- for my money, because I you know I grew up loving you know, Cheers, one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows of all time. Yeah. Period. We're, I mean, there we're are Polish, the yeah. uh, I I feel like the last couple of years has seen a different style, a different point of view. Tina Fey and Thirty Rock. Uh, yeah. Parks and Rec, that that group, the community uh, yeah. series that uh, the most recent season that's mm-hmm. on Yahoo Screen, which from a creative standpoint almost entirely overcompensates for the fact that Yahoo Screen is a terrible place to watch a uh-huh. show right now. Well, uh, um, that'll emerge, and as I'll well. yell at them later in a different podcast. Um, but there's there's really quality material going on in so many different oh, places.
0: My, listen. Some of my favorite stuff. Most of my favorite stuff is not on. We're just talking comedy. Most of my favorite stuff is not on the broadcast network. Yeah,
1: I think we can all it's say on, that right now. Huh?
0: It's on. Uh, I'll plug them all. It's on uh, 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 Portlandia. You know, oh, yeah, which is IFC? Which is IFC. Um, uh, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, I was going to mention that um, on Netflix. Uh, those are the things that. Um, silicon valley and and veep right and, now and 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 veep may be the best sort of mainstream if you will comedy right now um or at least a, a comedy that will be nominated for an emmy if that's any right. in, indicator and silicon valley as well they're, they're, they're and those are on hbo um some people would say shameless i don't necessarily see it as a comedy but but that's that's me um, that stuff is better, and and you see Funny or Die or or College Humor, um, uh, things like Children's Hospital, you know, on Right Adult Swim. I mean, they're all kind of, they're I put them in those shows that I just mentioned, and I love them, and I loved Thirty Rock, and I loved The Office, um, but they they are more what I would, and I'm an old timer, so I, I have a perspective <laughs> that way, but. I call those kind of absurdist comedies. Um, and they have a, a sort of narrower audience, even though I think there is good or better than almost anything that has a sort of mass audience. and so It's mass audience because it's on a unbroadcast network. Um, you're right about multicam. It's just not, it, there's a sameness to it that revolves around basically, n- basically no content. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's about, it's, I, and I, and I'd even put big bang theory off to the side. Cause I think the joke writing in that is spectacular. And, and, and at least it is about something else. All the other shows that are on CBS, the multicam shows, some of the other stuff on NBC, uh, it's really the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's more, uh, than it is character. And, uh, and it, and when it's character, it's all about who's going to, excuse me, who's going to bang who. So, um, and who's not going to bang who. And, um, And that gets tiresome, you know, even though there's some very good comedy writers doing it.
1: I think the interesting thing about the fact that we brought up, you know, Netflix and HBO and those those places that are supplying some of the better comedies right now, um, it's not even what it, it wouldn't necessarily be about language and content there, even though that exists on those shows. They just happen to be really funny they're written True sharper it. and better. It's, uh, because if you remember, I've had a couple of people in here uh, talking about this sort of thing, Jeff Greenstein and Bob Cushell, who both mm-hmm. got their start on Dream On. And Dream On, while not a show that necessarily reached any sort of critical mass and popularity, became notorious because purely because of the content, right. because you could show boobies, and you had those uh, but little... But <laughs> even then, it, had a,
0: it, wasn't, it wasn't that kind of... Um, snarky um talk about sex
1: right right it wasn't I, it I was mean, integrated into this guy's life yeah yeah
0: and and, and um and it's almost kind of as uh, you know um i can't do it because john do john stewart does the I, I won't be able to do it on on, on radio but <laughs> or, or podcast but it's kind of like that Looked at John Stewart makes when he's made a mistake, like he's like he's embarrassed <laughs> or something. <I> mean, <laughs> right, if right. you watched if you watch the Daily Show, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a little boy snarky little joke he made, and and that's what it feels like. It yeah. feels as if there's the, the storytelling. You don't care, and and it's my theory that someone will come along, and I could be wrong. Someone will come along, and. And write about something in that multicam style because I think that proscenium kind of style, in front of an audience, is still has great value and and validity in terms of comedy. But no one is writing about anything that is is of any great consequence um, or or is feels different right now.
1: I think the thing for me, I remember sitting down with my. Uh, uh, Screenwriting professor at USC, Mark Harris. Yeah, um, and we it, it was very great professor. I, I I I thought he was awesome, mm-hmm. and he he did teach me a lot. Not that I used it for anything, <laughs> <laughs> but. I thought it was interesting. I've never forgotten this because here I was at, at you know at USC and it was it was it was very cinematic oriented and it was a my track was supposed to be directing and I was very interested in writing and we talked probably for an hour about the uh, Cheers pilot that mm-hmm. we had both watched separately and mm-hmm. um, and I and I remember that to this day because. There was something different going on in that Mm -hmm. show. And it was more than just the look of it, which was definitely different. It was more than the fact that it was this kind of amazing set. And Mm -hmm. I've had uh, your partner in crime, Ken Levine Levine on, and we've talked about this a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it's. But the characters that were created and the relationships that were created on that show, it was the combination of all of these things. But there was something about that that was, for lack of a better term, cinematic to me. And that's where my professor, Mr. Harris, and I, I think we we sat there and gushed and we had seen one episode. Mm -hmm. But it had it was so special. It established these people and this place. And. The, well, and there, and again, the, the, there is a premise there, but it was really not. It wasn't the Sam Diane thing necessarily that that moved me, that hooked me. It was everything else about it.
0: Well, it, it, it was. We'd be getting into some heavy discussion here about about um, comedy and and
1: and. Um, you got some Freud you want to throw in? You no, Freud no. so much as, as the sort of So um, you're a Jungian, is what yeah, you're
0: saying. Yeah. Well it's exactly what I'm gonna say. It's it's archetypical, you know. Yeah. It's it's relatable, it's identifiable. You you know somebody like that. Or that person is a very specific type of archetype. Um
1: not to be flipped, but it really was about being in a place where everybody knows. No, your it's name. family, it's totally it's family. what it was.
0: It's it's family. It's a place you go. Um because you want to be there, mm. uh, it's an escape. Yep, um, and then you're there, and you can laugh with and and at the people that are participating. You need an inner conflict, which is the Sam and Diane thing. You need something that sort of drives the narrative, because it can't be just nut of the week walking through the door. You know, the angry Yankee fan, or the <laughs> or the uh, the nerd who goes to Harvard. Um, both of which we did, but <laughs> but um, but. That, of course, drove that initial romance, that sexual tension, which hadn 't been really done before, um, strangely enough, that another reason it was fresh um, really drove drove the series, but you enjoyed the spirit of the place and and also in any good my th- particular it 's not my theory it 's what we all used to say that that any particularly good sitcom in 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 the forefront, or, or not in the forefront, but, but there's a kind of theme that runs through it uh, in the background that runs through everything that we can all identify, which is promises unfulfilled. I'm not getting what I want. Right, right. But there's these people here that support me. All of that is kind of lying underneath it, you know, kind of in the background. I think- and, and, it, and it makes you feel, I think, like you want to come back.
1: I think that's it's what of really the unglib way of- No it, it's it because I think that's the kind of magical thing about Cheers, in particular, even down to the theme song I, I i can't quite place i've talked with other people about this i can't quite place what it is about that theme song because it is not this happy, peppy little song. Mm-hmm. It has this air of melancholy to it, yeah, with these you know old timey images of you know right. bars from years past where people are drinking and and carousing and whatever but just the the tone of the song, the key of the yeah. song is yeah. Is, well, you hit it. It yeah. is the sort of key of the song, and 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 it, and it it's not sad, no. uh, but 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 it, it I think it is what you just described. It's,
0: it's simply that, and that's the that's the genius of it, you know. And you never kind of plan these things; these things have to come to you. You know, the guys right. who created the show, the, the Glenn and Les Charles and Jim Burrows, are all incredible craftsmen and in the in a particular areas, um, and 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 smart and literate and, and wise beyond most, most writers that I had worked with, uh, including myself, but, um, but, but still there were happy accidents. And yeah. so somebody, um, goes out and writes that tune. Um, Gary, uh, uh, Gary and Judy, who, who wrote the, the tune, um, I mean you couldn't find that it's like two pieces of a puzzle that just you just come upon. Yeah. It it fits right exactly right. But that says that what you're doing the 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 canvas you've created is 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 a perfectly simple idea that will take pieces that will fit it yeah.
1: Perfectly. It's pretty remarkable. I, I've, again, since I've talked to Ken, I, I feel like I've talked a lot about your history as well as his, but you guys have. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although we'll get to yours specifically uh, yeah. because uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious about that. Your, your background has a lot to do with who you are and, and mm-hmm. how you got to where you got. Mm-hmm. And, and also because the two of you ended up working on more than a couple of the most lauded and I would dare say iconic shows in the mm-hmm. history of those of sitcoms and and they're not the same I mean even even Cheers and Frasier not the same no, different. Um, and the fact that MASH was really the first major job that both of you guys had in in terms of anything long term mm-hmm. was not a by any means a traditional sitcom from no, it, from no, the way it was it produced
0: least, least traditional certainly of its time and, and maybe still to this day
1: yeah uh, so tell me about, first of all, where were you born? Where would you grow uh,
0: up? I was born in New York okay. and uh, lived there as a, a youngster and then moved down to uh, Florida with my uh, folks. Moved there from, you know, it's um, a kind of a natural migration <laughs> down to southern Florida. <laughs> that's and, that's uh, not a stereotype. That, no, it's that not. That actually exists. It's not. Um, How old were you when you moved to Florida? Oh, I, was about, uh, I was in my uh, uh, early uh, adolescence. Period. Was that traumatic or? Uh, yes, because I had already kind of grown to be a part of what I grew up in, and so my. The New, so you, you felt
1: know, a New York. You were a New York. New York
0: is different from Miami, sure. although the culture is kind of the same, or was the same at the time. Uh, in some ways, it's like we used to say a piece of New York broke off and you know landed down there. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then there's a whole other culture, the, the, the major culture that is part of that city now, but. Uh, I, I was kind of in a strange place with that, and never really took to it. Although you adapt as a kid, uh, I, I, I went to the University of Miami. I wasn't much of a student, and I, I went to the University of Miami because they would take me. <laughs> and um, I believe time, that's still the criteria, well, there, right? No, actually, Miami <laughs> has sorry. become quite a no. No, I mean, it was at the time. Uh, we we uh, it was a it was noted as a place you could get into Mm -hmm. and not so much anymore. It's a very uh, much more um, uh, lauded school now. And I think it's in the top 50 of the U S news and world report rankings. But that, that aside um, uh, I went there and I got, and and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I just had an affinity I think always for comedy. Comedy was kind of like what I loved to um, listen to, did,
1: did that come from your folks?
0: What did your parents well, do? I came from a typical Jewish, you know, a, an absurd kind of world, <laughs> which I won't go into too, too much. I had a very loving mom and dad, but we... But you, you know, had
1: characters, right?
0: We, you know, oh, yeah.
1: I and mean, you, you had...
0: Have, you have very much have characters. You
1: had a built-in sitcom, I, yeah. I would guess. And
0: I, and I had that kind of um, underdog feeling about myself, you know, and I thought the one thing I could do was sort of make people laugh. Uh, when did you
1: discover that?
0: I think at an early age. I, I feel that kind of forms in you uh, around four, five, six years old. When were you,
1: you grabbing jokes from the radio or something? No, no, or no, no. You I were just kind just, of you uh, had, it was always so it a, had a natural sort of a class thing. clown. Okay. All my
0: report cards came back as no self-control and that kind of stuff. <laughs> that I guess the early background of everybody <laughs> who goes into comedy at some point or some, in some way. Yeah.
1: You would have been perhaps diagnosed with ADD or ADHD at, at that point. That.
0: I don't that. I, don't, I think I was pretty normal. No, I'm, pretty, I'm the, pretty
1: convinced that almost anybody who ended up in comedy or stand-up or, or anything like that would, in this day and age, have some sort of scientific uh, yeah, diagnosis. Yeah, I, I think so.
0: I mean, there were two things that I think helped me a lot. One, one in terms of the writing is I read a lot as a kid. Yeah. And the other thing was I just... Had that I, I subconsciously or or around the surface somewhere I understood that I saw things differently. I just knew right. that I did, and and I knew I could get a reaction from that. And so that's that's comedy.
1: Was it uh, a self defense thing too? Was it? Oh yeah, yeah getting yeah. out out of trouble. with yeah, teachers no, I, or out I, of no no away from bullies
0: on the on the Yeah, places like that. If you could make people laugh, you it saved your life in a lot of cases. It sounds very typical. When I got to college, I really wasn't interested in anything particularly. I took a communications course, which had a a kind of smattering of everything uh, that that you know modern uh, uh, cinema schools have. You know, a little bit of production, a little bit of writing, a little bit, you know. But
1: nothing that. But you were leaning toward something entertainment-ish. Yeah. Somehow, I
0: thought that's got to be what it is. I knew I wasn't going to be a businessman.
1: I knew. Was it as a performer, perhaps? Or were you thinking? Mm,
0: I wasn't sure, you didn't but I gravitate knew, to the stage. I knew it. Well, the stage seemed quite frightening to yeah. me. Uh, it was easy to do in a small crowd or in a car with my friends, but to stand in front of fifty strangers or more seemed, uh, or ten, depending <laughs> on where I was going to be, seemed very daunting. And I never really tried it. Did you uh, have comedic heroes? Oh yeah. Who, oh, who yeah. were they? Oh, uh, uh, well used to be my comedic hero bill cosby (laughs) uh i know uh, i
1: that was uh, i before i had music you know albums before i had rock and roll i had uh you had to russell my brother with the standard
0: comedy albums Uh, cosby was one sure smothers brothers were another um i i enjoyed uh i loved jonathan winters i could my parents would let me watch him on on the jack parr show not the tonight show but the Jack Parshall. All oh,
1: right, that would and, and Jack would just like give him a stick. And yeah, he just, and he would and, just improvise. and, yeah, and it, was it was wild insane. and
0: crazy, and he was un, unlike anybody else. Um, and and then uh, guys like Robert Klein, who I thought sounded like the guys you hung out with. Yeah, and that that was kind of like I was attracted to Klein because Klein was kind of like what you did, you, the way you talked on the corner. And, and so the funny guy in and the corner, some yeah, yeah, observations, yeah. stuff like that. Those not, were those not were not my people and, and Woody know, Allen, yeah. if I haven't mentioned it. And, Klein uh, Klein
1: gets mentioned so much by by comedians, uh, by comedians who came up at a certain time, but um, I don't know that he gets the kind of credit maybe that.
0: No, he deserves. I, I I don't think he does, and and I know Seinfeld was a big fan of his, right? And and other people, I'm sure, from that ilk. Uh, Klein was 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 very hip guy, and and so was David Steinberg, and and uh, now that I'm sort of recalling names, um, and 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 of course we had all those albums, yeah, and the Two Thousand Year Old Man, and oh gosh, and, yeah. and and all those kind of things. And what changed me, and what I knew, something I knew I it was like it changed the way I looked at what I was going to do, or 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 gave me a kind of passion. I suppose, was I went, I was about 19, and I was in school, and I went to a art theater, which they don't have anymore, you know, the the theater in town that played, you know, Breathless and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Never on Sunday and those kind of movies, Uh, and they were playing uh, Woody Allen's uh, first, you know, sort of uh, independent feature, um, Take the Money and Run. Yes. And when I saw that, it really did a number on me. I, I remember sitting there and thinking I've never seen anything quite like this. This is so funny on a on a totally different level. Yeah, any mainstream comedy, any any anything that I've seen that I that were you know the standard kind of what were comedies in the '60s, the Jack Lemmon.
1: You know, right?
0: Uh, films,
1: the 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 grown-up comedies, the grown-up at that up point, comedies, because they had started to edge into more right. kind of adult content. Exactly. No, this was a a documentary. Was, uh, I, maybe I mean, per, it, certainly and, one of the first parodies of a documentary. And, and I
0: wasn't that tuned into stuff that I learned later on, like th- that I really f- discovered because of that, uh, the Marx Brothers and right. um, and and Keaton and. Uh, and even some of the early Bob Hope stuff. Uh, and and so I, I seeing this, I had no idea what the roots were to this. And if you see the Marx Brothers and if you see Bob Hope, you you know that Woody Allen was influenced by them. But I didn't know that. I just saw somebody, to me, working in a completely original way. Right. It was this with, very
1: sophisticated filmmaking. Totally sophisticated.
0: But, and yet but gags. Incredibly silly yes. gags. A, joke after joke after joke. Yeah, there's joke. one that I'll never forget that I nearly fell out of my seat, What? Which was he was in the he played cello in the marching band, and so he had to play and sitting in his chair and then take pick the chair up, run and catch up to them, and play again. Now that's pretty basic kind of silent movie stuff. Yeah, totally. But for a kid, it was like nobody was doing anything like
1: that. For me, uh, it's I. Automatically go to carving the gun out of soap yes. and uh, making it black with shoe polish. And then in right. and, and the, the day of the escape from prison, it's raining. Right. So it just right. turns into a giant right. fistful of suds.
0: Or, or, the, the, or they're <laughs> taking pictures of the bank. They're going to they're taking movies of the 8mm movies of the bank they're going to case. And so the gang is going to play the movies back. But first, you know, they have a uh, short trout fishing in Vermont. I was just... It's just like it was wild and yeah. and, and well, it was silly, pu- it was silly. pushing
1: the form of something that you felt it felt again felt right. familiar, but it was in a framework that you had never seen before. So you knew you were right. seeing something I brand was, new. I was
0: I was inspired. Yeah, if we can sum it up, I I was inspired and I thought I gotta ideally do something like that. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know where I was going to do it. I just knew this is. This is what I like, and that that then spurred me to discover all these other um, very famous um, uh, comedians and filmmakers, and and so I kind of steeped myself in a lot of that stuff, and I, and I even worked in the summers. I worked in Miami Beach and, uh, in the hotels, and you, you know, as a kid, you could go and go around to the different hotels and sweep their beach and work at the pool a little bit, and then I get a regular job, and I I'd, I'd hang around at night, and there, you know, a lot of comics would come and be in their nightclubs in, in those days, you know, guys, you, not even, no one would even know these names, but guys like Charlie Callis and Corbett oh, sure. Monica, and, yeah. you know, B, B-level B comics who would come, and but I, they're doing I, the I, circuit. Would, I would yeah. watch how, and it was that reaction, that ability to get just enormous amounts of laugh that I just took in, and I think I, I think I had an aptitude for it, but I, in my own way, I kind of studied it, so... So I was ready. When I got my big break, which was when I came out here after I had graduated from college and spent um, a year still back there working, and then and then just decided I had to come out here.
1: What what, what was what was that motivation? You just knew that if you were going to have a, a chance at anything, it was going to have to be out here. This yeah, is I mean, where there the was industry nothing.
0: Was. The Miami, uh, the Miami, the Miami Beach of nineteen seventy-two offered me nothing. But basically handing out towels, yeah. you know, to the general public.
1: I mean, you could have written jokes for comics. I mean, did you ever have that kind I just of didn't inclination? Know, no? I
0: just didn't know where how to do that or yeah. where to go. No, no connections. connections to
1: it. Um,
0: but you had no connections here either, did no, you? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, my I mean, it's a bigger leap
1: to, to go, I'm going to go 3,000 miles to well, where I, had, they a, make I it. had a
0: friend who I'd gone to college with, who had moved out here. You mm-hmm. got married and moved out here, and he would call me and say, "Get your ass out here! This is like <laughs> the best." And I said, "Yeah, I got to do it one time." And I finally just got in the car and drove out and stayed on on the couch. Uh, his, his wife and they had a small apartment in Burbank, and I slept on their couch for about six months and probably helped break up their marriage. But <laughs> they were young as well. But uh, but it was probably meant to be. It's not your fault, um, David. It's not. Your uh, fault. Uh, and, and, uh, and that was, and then the rest is just a lot of serendipity. I, I, I mean, I was in a, he and I were in a, uh, army unit, my friend and I were, we had both been in the army reserves and we had six years to serve. And so when I came out here, he helped me get in the unit he was in, which was, uh, um, armed forces radio unit. And that's where I met Levine was, he was in it as well. And we met at at the first summer camp that I had to go to in Fort Carson, Colorado Ken and I became friendly talking about comedy. Yeah, and did um, you
1: guys make the connection? Because he has mentioned this. You were the the switch that flipped for him involved Woody Allen as well at yes. a different time in his life, um, but it was the same sort of thing. Of oh my god, this guy is you know writing down funny things. Yeah, yeah. I mean it hit him in much the same way in in a in a theater watching a film. And a, just a different way of getting that information across. Well,
0: all of us who do this, I imagine, have some seminal um, uh, uh, figure that we that we that um, grabbed us in a sense. Um, boy, that suddenly sounded very <laughs> uh, very pornographic. But but. Uh,
1: would you like to rephrase nah, the question? No.
0: What, what's the difference <laughs> at this age? Who cares? Um, uh, I am what I am. Nobody's going to misinterpret uh, right that. But anyway, uh, you know, you, there is always some someone who's your hero or someone who's who speaks to you in a way. I'm sure that's true for any art.
1: It is. Yeah. There is. I mean, I and that's the thing that I find the most interesting is kind of not only who it is, but what, what's that moment? Because there's almost a moment. I mean, the yeah. fact that you sit there and can. Talk about take the money and run, and it's so indelible in your oh, mind. Oh, absolutely! I mean, not absolutely. even not even the film, but the, the feeling you had, yeah. and like th- that overwhelming sensation of kind of oh, I I
0: think I I'm onto something. I think that, that it was a melding of 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 what I was, who I am, mm-hmm. what I knew I could conceivably do, and the fact that it that someone was doing it right in an ideal way to me. So many. That was peop- a, that was an epif- uh, you know, an epiphany.
1: I I I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I I felt like I got through the went through the whole thing. I you know I didn't end up getting into film. I got into radio, but I right. think so much of my sensibility was absolutely influenced by by Letterman. Watching him at a time when I was mm-hmm. starting to do that, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Like I said by the number of people in comedy who have said he was their guy well and and that but it makes sense it's it's another one of those
0: i'm a a little older than you and i think for your generation he is that figure because he to me is the seminal figure of that kind of stand back ironic Mm -hmm. kind of look at things you know i remember the first time i saw letterman on stage i saw him at the comedy store in the in the probably mid seventies. And he hit me with this very simple joke, which was McDonald's has ribs now. And isn't that a dream come true? <laughs> and I remember thinking it's a different form. Yeah. It's a little different. form. Right. I, I'm not that smart, but I, but I, I remember thinking delivery and, and the way he's just kind of, he's not forcing anything. He's just telling you what mm-hmm. you already know. And, and he's, he, I mean, you saw it last month when he retired. There was a real outpouring of people who I think feel very—however you felt about Dave at the end, certainly at the beginning of the, of, of his journey, and, and he, he he was an icon for many people. Well, that's but that's what I kind of see
1: is—and you've hit it because we've talked about it already here—is that you're seeing something familiar, but somebody's taken—it's not even a huge leap, but it's this— alteration of the way it's it's delivered and the way it's perceived. Yeah. yeah. But you get it. I mean, right. you immediately get it. Um so you and Ken had that connection and then that started and and he's told me this. It's funny because you you came from a communications major, I guess is mm-hmm. basically what you had. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing like not even remotely like what you're working with now at USC in terms of, no, kind of oh my god no. so I mean and he and so you've been trying to kind of find your path and he told me you guys just watched analyzed mm-hmm. wrote down the beats you didn't even have a way really of kind of getting these scripts it's so easy to just Google
0: oh yeah no you know I mean, a, a script these I, days I mean, it was we were not yet in the information age yeah. yet or the 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 um, you know the ubiquity of, of, of all of this material,
1: but you had the sensibility to we that there is a structure to it. You made absolutely you made that absolutely that in many ways. I think we
0: helped ourselves in some ways because it helped us concentrate on the not only the the sound but the, um, uh, the, um, the 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 tempo of of dialogue and things like that. Because we couldn't watch it again, we could only tape it, audio tape it. So we would listen back to it as as a good, oh, almost yeah. as a good radio show. And it, and and Jim Burroughs used to say a good, sitcom. At least we're talking thirty years ago, could be a a good television sitcom could still be a good radio sitcom. You you don't, you know, the visuals are not as important as the characters and and the dialogue. So, um, or at least I think that's what he was saying. But. But, um, but we stumbled upon that because we had no other choice. Right. We had, there was no way we could watch it again. And we would go to a place called Larry. I think it still exists a Larry Edmonds bookstore and off Hollywood Boulevard and buy scripts, you know, and look at them. And, and we watched, and, and this, this was a lifestyle choice as well because we had no money. Neither one of us had money. Right and so we apparently
1: would, not dating either no no if you're i hanging had a girlfriend oh okay maybe
0: he had a girl i don't remember no i, I had a girlfriend <laughs> and we would hang out at her place and get some takeout food and watch the saturday night lineup on cbs which is all in a family and mash mary tyler moore bob newhart show then carol burnett and we would just sit there and watch them. mary was kind of our the touchstone show for us it was like a The writing was... The characters in the writing were sort of cut above. Or Newhart was... Newhart was more... It it had its own kind of... um, um, Newhart had its own sort of style that was a little bit more bent than Mary. Yeah.
1: Well, it was so built around his stand-up style that it was was totally his voice. It was funny
0: in its own sort of special way. But that was... I mean, that was just... For what was available to you in terms of what you could access... That that was a pretty stunning evening. Yeah, you though. couldn't have had a yeah. better... And, uh, and there was no money to go anywhere or go out to eat or anything <laughs> like that. And, and, and frankly, when all the family was on, there were nobody in restaurants anyway. So, That's or go funny. to the theater. So,
1: yeah, even somebody... Um, of the modern era. Dave Finkel has been in this room and Mm -hmm. uh, who runs uh, new girl. And he, one of my favorite things ever said on this podcast so far is, as far as advice, it's like, if you haven't watched every episode of every season of all in the family and want to be a TV writer, well then fuck you. And I mean, he, he touts that personally as the template of characters, interaction, Jokes, uh, you know something moving something i mean the the way to integrate all the elements that you need in a great
0: well it's also that's what i say it's about something yes it's about fear of change is essentially i believe in fear is the driver of every uh, fear of whatever you know fear of abandonment fear of shame fear of fear 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 of uh (laughs) uh, fear of change which is a big is which is a big fear for a lot of people and and it, and that's what that shows about. It seems to always. She be... is afraid of yeah. the change that's going on around him. He's losing, and it's and it's played out in a dynamic way because he's losing his daughter to his only child, to a guy that he couldn't be more in a disagreement with. Yeah. And that's that's the fountain. That's the that's the source of it. And that when I say somebody's got to write something like that, it doesn't have to be that because it, we're in a different era and a different time. And but. Somebody's got to write something about, you know, um about oh I got caught with this girl in my bedroom by somebody. You know, I mean it's just somebody's going to get to it.
1: Right. Yeah, right.
0: Somebody somebody I hope, you know. I'm 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 like uh, Moses. I won't be going there with you, but but <laughs> there is a promised land. I won't I won't be crossing over the Jordan, but you, but I want to point you towards it. Yes.
1: You see the destination. Yeah. Yes. It's, it is not your journey I to now take.
0: compared myself to a major biblical figure.
1: <laughs> well, we're we're touching all different aspects of uh, your life here. We've gone pornographic and we've gone biblical. <laughs> so, um, w- do you remember how bad the first script was that you guys wrote?
0: It was. Uh, it was or, typical. Yeah, um, I think there were some jokes in it that might have might still hold up. I don't know. The subject matter was what we knew, which was college, and there was a sort of absurd madness to the whole thing. And it was about guys who couldn't get laid, and you know, we wrote about what we knew (laughs) about, you know, in our own particular style. I remember it was good enough that it got us an agent who wasn't really enthusiastic about us, but our first person was going to take our stuff around, so it couldn't have been totally bad. And then, and then somebody suggested in those days that it, would, it was better to write specs of existing shows right. than it was to do original stuff. And so we took that advice and started knocking out specs of the wonderful series that we loved, which was the Mary Tyler Moore show. And, and The irony is we started a mash and just felt it was too difficult and put it down. <laughs> uh, but we, 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 our, our plan was to just keep writing until somebody somehow would would get our material and and discover us and and it, well, it that's takes it, that right? kind of of it's mindset it's work ethic right it i is. mean
1: it's it's the so many people have mentioned malcolm gladwell in these podcasts because that's yeah. so easy to say but that's it i mean you just have to it's the
0: simple message yeah. of our time the 10000 hours is is the there's no better way, simpler, yeah. better way to put it. You
1: have to put the time. <clears throat>
0: 10,000 hours. That doesn't have to be 10,000 hours of writing. Mm-hmm. but It has to be 10,000 hours of studying and comparing and analyzing and, and, and contrasting and all of those things that kind of start to put the craft into your head.
1: The fact that you, both of you got traction so quickly says something about, not just what you had already put in, but the fact that they're again a little touched by magic. I mean, do you recognize why you and Ken, in particular, tell me about that working relationship or creative relationship? I, I
0: think uh, I think we both found each other funny. So you made each other laugh. We made each other laugh, and he still can make me laugh. No one can make me laugh. I, I will, Some there are times that that I would go out of my way to to find ways to to um, exacerbate his frustration in a room because his sarcasm just goes up, like, you know, exponentially when he yes. gets frustrated. And there's nobody funnier yeah. because he he's just incredibly... He's at his funniest when he's at his most sarcastic.
1: Is it as clear-cut as... Somebody's a joke guy, somebody's a scenario guy, somebody's a character uh, guy, somebody's no, like a dialogue never, guy. We never looked at it that somebody's way. Somebody's a messy guy. Somebody's we learned, a we guy. learned
0: story a lot together. Yeah. Um, I think Ken was ahead of me in a sense because he had worked in radio and his mind worked faster. And I was a little more deliberate. But maybe that worked out well for us when we were writing. I don't, I don't know. Um, but we just always respected the other guy's take. Which I think is the reason to work with somebody, because if you could make, if that person doesn't laugh at something you've pitched um, and you trust that, trust their sense of humor and trust their judgment, then there's something wrong. And you begin to work on why doesn't it work?
1: Um, You were able to get to that place pretty quickly. Yeah, we went pretty quickly that way. We always went to
0: the third option. Yeah. Like if we both pitched... And neither one liked the other one. We would always agree, let's try something else. And that's not to say we didn't have some arguments. That's not to say we didn't have some, some, some pretty yelling uh, <laughs> matches in our time. But it was never actually about the work itself. Um, there was never any my way or the highway. And if anything, we would do things like, I'll give you this one you know
1: did you keep your own running tally yeah and we had the, joke, the joke
0: like uh well you just ruined the whole thing that was just, so you, so you just kind of play the absurdity of it yeah. and that sort of takes the tension out of it yeah um it's like a marriage it, yeah. it frankly it's, it's it's just like a marriage it's it, it, if you don't respect the other person's space if you don't respect the other person's opinion if it's my way or the highway you got troubles.
1: I suspect, much like many of these kind of collaborations, you spent more time together than spouses. I, mean, oh,
0: I, it, I, I, I um we spent every day together for the better part of every working day together, every weekday for the most part. Even the weekends we wrote, we would have to write. But we tried to reserve that time for ourselves or family and stuff. Uh, but as far as weekdays go every day for the better part of over 20 years 25 years. Then Ken started, decided to direct. And I was doing some consulting, uh, of shows when we were under contract at Paramount. And so we didn't spend that every day together, but we did spend more time with each other than we did our families or our spouses or anything like that. In fact, it was a great story. My, when, when my wife and I were getting married back in 89, um, we went to a, a jewelry broker in in Beverly Hills. She called me and said, and she worked near Beverly Hills. And she said, could you meet me in Beverly Hills at the jewelry broker because I picked out the, you know, I picked out the ring and he's got it for me and we need to pay for it. And so I said to Kenny, you know, let's. Uh, I got to go to. We were at Paramount. I said we, in Hollywood, so we had to go over to Beverly Hills. I said, come on with me. I, we can eat there. I got to meet Leslie and and pay for this ring. And he, he said, okay, cool. So he comes with me to the broker, and she's there, and I could tell right away she's pissed, you know. And but I don't know why. It could be just work or something like that. I'm not putting two and two together yet. I pay for the thing, and then I say, you know, we're going to go to lunch. And she had to go back to work. And later on, I talked to her. I said, like, well, "Well, you seem mad at me today." She goes, "You bring your partner for buying my ring, and and you bring your partner to it." And I said, "Well, I don't understand. We're just buying the ring. I'm not putting it on your finger." <laughs> And this is the kind of romantic human being I am. <laughs> and um, it's the kind of, you know, the kind of Casanova, Scaramouche. Scoot- yes. Yes. Smooth um, talker. Uh You know, sweep them off their feet. Uh, <laughs> and I said, no, we do this every day. We go to lunch. I didn't think of that. I said, see, we had to go to, coming at my lunch hour, we had to go to lunch. And she was like, you're just useless. and And that's the kind of time... I mean our lives were just that we were the guys. We just did stuff every day. We ate. We'd break take a break. We'd go to lunch. We'd never talk about the script unless we were had an idea for it and it was sports and, and movies and women and and um that was it. That was well, what we do. When you did no, have, I mean I don't we weren't when I say women, we weren't having like nooners <laughs> or anything. We were talking about <laughs> women. Sure it did. OK. Um,
1: so when you did get to the point where the partnership became not a partnership, um, it was, you were both pursuing kind of singular things.
0: Yeah. Ken um, more than me, I think, because he always had radio. Then he had baseball. You know, he's a he play-by-play announcer. I mean, he's a... He's he, done a ridiculous he, I call him the of, entertainment machine. He, yeah. He just has a ridiculous... He's a little
1: too good at too many things, and that he's, pisses he's me a, off. He's a
0: renaissance man of of sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, popular culture, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he's a good... He's People don't know about He's a great caricaturist. He's he's just very multi-talented. Um, Were and, you okay kind of being on your own at that time? Yeah, point? I, I always was. Yeah. I mean... Also, once again, you respect the other person's space. Sure. This is what you want to do, man. Go do it. You know, I'm I'm okay. I mean, there were times when we had to talk it over, in, in terms of how our deal was at at the studio, but but other than that, it was you know, if you wanted to do baseball, I I'll be on the show, and I'll you know, I'll send you an outline, you write it, I'll I'll rewrite it, we'll we'll turn it in. You know, we we could do it. We could we could work together that way, and then and then just came a point where he wanted to direct more and, and, um, but we always could write together. It wasn't like, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. It was never that day. What I got into teaching was really the, the, biggest moment where I said, you know, the, the pursuit of this is over for me. Um, Frazier had ended our, our 20 year contract at Paramount was over. Business was changing Uh, We were still going in and selling pilots and and making deals. But we came up to to the networks with a particular idea that I I thought we were really prepared for. We had the two leads already. Uh, We had a great idea. I had never come to a a network pitch meeting in better shape, I thought. And, And no one bought it and that's with the two leads in the room doing a scene from it everything i mean it's just like this is the show guys you you don't even have to kind of guess what it's going to be no one bought it and I, and i remember being in the parking lot at cbs and and just saying to ken you know i think i'm done i think i'm done wow. chasing the chasing the dream because if they didn't buy this they're not buying anything it's <laughs> us or it's or it's the kind of ideas we're coming in with i don't know what it is but this seems Patently um uh impractical now, you know. And he said, you know, I was thinking the same thing. Really. And at that moment I thought I, I gotta look at other things to do. I've gotta think about it. I mean I I didn't say well I'll never do this again. It was just the day to day calling the agent. This meeting here, that meeting there, that I wanted that to end, and so did
1: he. That's a pretty self-aware thing to – say. I
0: mean – That's got me into teaching. Yeah.
1: You certainly certainly had had enough success at that point that it was probably – I mean, but there are people in your line of work who just continue to want to try and accomplish that again and then just reach – it's like the athlete playing well beyond his peak thinking – I can get that championship. I, I can. You I, know.
0: I felt like I didn't want to be that guy sitting in Nate Nowell's, going, you know, business stinks and no one's doing great stuff anymore. I didn't want to be that guy. And I and I and you're right. I mean, we had had incredible success and and luck opportunities that very few people get a chance to do, and and we were able to see them through. And and frankly, it seemed like you know, I've I've had my share. It's, it's like, you know, you, you don't want to, I don't wish this, but you, you, you know, you don't want to be at Warren Beatty's deathbed. And the last thing he says is, I wish I had met more women. You know, it, it's just, you got to know when you had yours. And, and, um, and, uh, and I think that was that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, life has been very nice beyond that.
1: I, part of the reason I get a little resentful of that, uh, of the fact that I missed some of this opportunity at USC is because I had the other, a lot of my instructors, I had great instructors. I had guys like Mark Harris and people like that. Mm -hmm. I had the other side of the instructors, which was the guys who had, you know, directed a couple of episodes of Gunsmoke and were bitter about the fact that they didn't become something else. There's always that. So now in your current role as Mm -hmm. an instructor, as an imparter of wisdom mm-hmm. as somebody who is guiding young talents in the uh, field that you have learned so well, w- what are you seeing on their end? What, what's, what's, is it kind of the same thing you you've been used to seeing as you
0: were coming up as far yeah, as I the mean, approach? Look, not everybody, look, honestly, you know, not everybody's going to make it, you know, and you do see in the course of a year or a couple of years, you see a couple of people, you they're slam dunk going to make it. If they, if they have the mindset that when they get out there, they're tough about staying with it and networking and doing all the things that they have to do. It's a slam dunk. This person will be, and I'm usually right. I mean, in the time that I've been there seven, eight years, I've had four or five of those people and that I've specifically said, got it, you know, and those people do, they, you know, the cream rises. And then there are people who are, who are, um, who, if they work hard at it and they keep at the craft, they'll, they should make it. And there's some people that, and I could be wrong. There are some people that just, they're not, they're not in the right niche or they're not, they think they should be this or they think they should be that. My job is not to, to mess with anybody's dream. They're all there because they love, they love, um, entertainment. And they and they want to provide it and they want to be a part of it. And um, and for whatever reason, they start doing it. They they're in it. And my job is to make I look at it as my job is to inform them as best I can what to expect, how to do it better. And and in the particular case of the USC School of Cinema's writing division, it's all based on character. It's all about character. It's a good story is great characters character causes the conflict conflict causes the story, you know, not to get too scientific, but the more you can pull from your own point of view and your own sense of of who you are and what you have to say, the better you're going to be.
1: As much as the business has changed, as much as the methodology to get there has changed, the basic template is still,
0: it's still the same. Exactly. You're still same. telling a story. Yeah. And and that's what most young people coming out um lack. They get they get uh, they don't they know a word called plot and they don't know how to navigate plot. Mm-hmm. And I my feeling is don't even use the word. You know? <laughs> Tell me, tell me, give me some characters in a situation and let's work from that. And they'll kind of yeah. tell you where to go. And they'll tell you where to go and you'll, and their change, the char- the change of that character, even if it's in a movie, if it's from point A to point Z and in a television pilot, if it's point A to point A1, you know, there's a theme, there's a arc, that arc and then the obstacles that. That, the, that That character faces are are where the story comes, as opposed to I need a scene here or something should happen here. I mean, not to diminish anybody's any of the many books that are written about um, uh, about how to write a screenplay, and there are some very good ones um, in terms of orienting you to the form, but if you're if you're writing it in accordance to a graph you know when rising action should come on page 35 <laughs> right. or or, or uh, you're you're just you're just writing a graph um you're copying a graph with 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 dialogue um and and that's why i, I you know not to sell sc but it and i'm sure other schools have it, it it's it's about it's about the it's about how to engage an audience with relatable identifiable emotions and and those are the always end up being the best kinds of stories and the kinds of stories we respond to and the kind of stories that can change your life like um, like a very simple you know take the money and run in my case right well look I had a conclusion <laughs>
1: Let me, uh, can we get purely nostalgic sure. to wrap things up here? Sure. And uh, this is putting you on the spot a little bit, but because I have such an affection for it, I just give me a great cheers story. Just whatever comes to mind. Just oh, something that just God, like. I'd,
0: I'd have to, um, well, I, one I can't tell you.
1: What? No, that's uh, the one I
0: want to hear. Well, I'll tell you a, a little inside thing <laughs> about your favorite. I'm not going to single out any particular characters, but. In, but you know, towards the end of the series when um when the actors the actors had for the most part played the those characters over two hundred times or more, they get a little bit like bored with it and a little um the idea is it's sort of a challenge is to learn it as late in the week as you can, <laughs> as they say we'll learn it on the steps um, so if you walk behind the bar, at cheers. This was ca- this was the case all well, through the series, but it, but really towards the end, if you walk behind the bar at Cheers, there were little parts of the script taped to the bar <laughs> so that they could look at them, and essentially little cue cards all over the place. You went to the back of that bar; it was all dialogues, just taped to the, you know.
1: And just they accumulated, they accumulated like, like it, paint, yeah, like layers of paint down, over but, the years. But but, um,
0: <laughs> but it was. Uh, that the, you know your favorite actors are you know, they get a little bored with what they doing. <laughs> they have to find a different way to do it. Is there? But, a, it, was a, but it was a great. You
1: know. Is there uh, a joke that you remember writing? Your particular line. You're particularly proud of. Oh yeah, no, of. there's a lot of good
0: ones. My favorite one. My favorite episode actually that Ken and I wrote, uh, since it's my hour here, um, <laughs> was an episode where a, it was Fraser's bachelor party, and uh, and I just always loved this and Frazier uh, walked in um, to the uh, bar, and the guys were going to throw him a bachelor party, and he said, uh, he walks in, he says, gentlemen, I'm paraphrasing, gentlemen, uh, I heard a song on the radio tonight that I think speaks to the kind of revelry that we all want to participate in. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody <laughs> wang chung tonight. And I, I, I still... See that and laugh. And, and then, and the, and then the, the thing I'm most proud of is we, we did an episode where Frazier's son, Frederick, uh, was not speaking yet at about, you know, a year old. And uh, Lilith and he were both concerned and Lilith was blaming it on the, the lack of stimulation with him bringing Frederick to Cheers. And, and the joke was that um, at the end, the baby's first words would be Norm. And, but we had to build that. Right. So we had to write, I think, five or six norm entrances, which were the most difficult because it's pure joke writing. Right. It's set up joke. Right. So it's not coming out of the character, it's pure cleverness. And to do one of those, a show was always a challenge or two. To do five of them was wow. like, like, degree of dif- difficulty is like a nine. You know, it's a <laughs> backward two and a half flip with a pike, <laughs> you know? And we did five of them. And, and I remember just being so proud of that that we, we took that challenge on.
1: So and that's the stuff that uh, you know they got YouTube compilations of every Norm entrance yeah. on there, it's just yeah. knocking them out one or the other. And those are some amazing. My lines. favorite,
0: my favorite um, one. Well, there's two favorite Norm entrances. Well, my favorite one is one that Ken wrote, which was um, uh, Norm comes in and says, "Hey everybody, hey Norm." He goes, uh, "What are you up to, Norm?" And uh, Norm says my ideal weight if I was eleven feet tall. And I just thought that was <laughs> as brilliant as ever done, and it was my my uh, partner who, who hit that one.
1: Uh, David, it's such a pleasure to my, talk uh, to you. My pleasure, Larry. This it's has really been great, a fun uh, talk. Thank you for the time. Can I come back to school? Can I? Uh, can, is it too late? You're you're
0: you got your sheepskin from. Uh, <laughs> From SC?
1: No, I, I'm, I'm still missing a uh, semester of French, and I think I got an incomplete because I didn't turn in my uh, Huck Finn uh, paper. Wow. Yeah. So well, if there's a way I can make that up in, in your
0: class. Come on back, and we'll see if we can do some kind of equivalent uh, I know
1: I don't deserve academic. an honorary or anything, but uh, I'll, just, you know, I'll just take it pass-fail, if that's cool with you. Hey, huh?
0: uh, I, I just went to a University of Miami reunion. They gave uh, Stallone an honorary degree from Miami. Where he went around the same time I would. So if, if, st- if they could just hand one to Stallone. <laughs> sure. Give one to you. Just show
1: my grudge match scene with him. Exactly. And uh, I, I'm in. You're in. In the same movie.
0: David, thanks, man. My pleasure. Get a monkey. Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,